Well, hey, if you do not know me yet, shame on you and me. My name is Brandon Davis, and I am on staff with Chi Alpha. This is my fifth year in Ellensburg. How awesome is that? Yeah, God is good. I am from a small town called Linden, Washington. Shout out to Whatcom County. Was born and raised there for 21 years until I transferred to Central Washington in the fall of 2015 and began studying film production as a student. Amen. I, uh, I graduated in the fall of uh, 2017 with my bachelor's degree, but during my senior year, the Lord actually called me to full-time ministry with Chi Alpha. So I graduated, and then I actually began a two-year internship with Chi Alpha. Finished that last year, and now I'm on my first full year of being staff with Chi Alpha. I did it. Yeah, praise God. God is good. God is good. So I'm really excited to be here, really excited for the Lord to speak through me and for you guys to hear what he has to say. But before we get into that, we need to show a slide. I am very, very happily married. This is a photo. Ah, yes. Okay, my guys, rightfully so, gave me a lot of, they gave me a hard time last week because the highlight of my SBO trip wasn't meeting my wife. That's what I didn't, I didn't say that. That's not true. Okay, have grace with me. I didn't say that it was, even though it totally was. But this is actually a photo of Meredith and I on SBO, my first year as a student, her first year being on staff. And this is actually the first ever captured proof of me flirting <laughs> with my wife. Yeah, totally. I thought she was incredible. Yeah, yes, sir. I, I, did, I did do that. Hey, so we started dating after that, and then we got the next photo. It's actually us getting engaged at the top of the water tower. So I did a good job. Any of the guys want to talk to me about how to do a good propose, propose well? I did a good job. We're very happy, clearly. Yeah, come find me if you want to hear more about the story. And then uh, the last photo is my favorite from our wedding. That is the feeling of stress leaving your body. Joy realizing you're married. It's just captured right there in that moment. So Meredith, as you guys know, also works on staff here at Chi Alpha, and I love her very much. She's very incredible. We've been married now for a year and five months, so God is very good. God is very good. So that's a little bit about me tonight. Hey, can I have my uh, Bible pastors please come up? Do we have Bible pastors tonight? Thank you. Hey, if you don't have a Bible with you tonight, you probably will definitely want one. Just raise your hand and uh, if you didn't bring it, our guys will pass those to you. And if you don't have a Bible with you here in Ellensburg or at all, please keep it. It's our gift to you. We want you to have God's word. So please hold on to that if you would like. And I'm just going to start by praying. Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, that your spirit would speak. Lord, I, I pray that your presence would be here. God, I pray that you just help me to teach your word, Lord. Uh, that we would just really feel you tonight. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys been enjoying our series so far this fall on God's character? Yeah. Amen. Me too. Well, if you don't have it memorized yet, we will be uh, starting with Genesis 1, 26 through 27. If you'll flip there with me. First book of the Bible, first chapter. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, 
and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we see that we are created in the image of God, and we're created to actually represent the very character or the likeness of God. Now, this is actually not just so that we can say, oh, we're like good humans and like we represent and have great character. It's actually more than that. It's actually so that the world can experience God's great love for them. There's actually a command to rule after that in love and to represent God on earth. And so tonight we're going to actually learn about God's patience and how that is a part of his character. So in order for us to learn more about patience, let's throw the definition up behind me. The definition of patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Brace yourself for a deep question. Do you guys have like a low moment with God? Do you have a moment where God has demonstrated a lot of patience with you? It's kind of that moment where you're like, oh, if I ever come face to face with the Lord, I just really hope he doesn't remember like that one moment that we had together. My, uh, my low moment with the Lord actually came my senior year of baseball season when I was in high school. And we were playing this really competitive game, and my, kind of like my, my starting job was on the line. And I, kn- I knew that I really needed to perform well during this game. And so in the dugout right before I was getting up to go to bat, I prayed and I go, God, help me get a hit. <laughs> I didn't even like, have a relationship with the Lord, but I'm like, God, help me get a hit. I need a hit tonight. Step up to bat, strike out. Which in baseball, that's the worst thing you can possibly do. So I come back to the dugout, and I'm like, gosh. I grab my mitt. I, like, go on the field, and I'm just really angry. And I, bear with me here, I literally turn my eyes up, and I go, bleep you, God. (laughs) True story. I am so frustrated. I just F-bomb the Lord. So bad. You can laugh. I mean, don't laugh, maybe. But... Seriously, like Brandon's low moment, right, in his life. Super low moment with the Lord. Now, obviously, I'm still here. <laughs> Demonstration of patience. That's all I have to say. Good night. No, no, God didn't treat me impatiently. God treated me very patiently. And actually, like nine months after that moment, I actually came to faith in Christ. I actually gave my heart to the Lord like nine months later after that. An impatient God would have given up on us a long time ago, would you agree? He would have given up on me a long time ago, but he hasn't. Why is that? Why is God patient with us? What, what's the purpose of God's patience? Why is this a part of God's character? If you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, we will read exactly why. 2 Peter chapter 3. It should be up on the screen behind me. We're going to read verses 9 and also verses 15. It's on the right of your Bible. Table of contents is always helpful. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and also verses 15. Verse 9 of 2 Peter reads, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
Verse 15 says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. So check this out. God is moved to patience through a desire to see everyone come to repentance. God actually wants no one to perish. Did you know that about God? His patience actually means salvation. Now, have you guys ever heard of the Apostle Paul before? Kind of a famous guy in the New Testament. Arguably the greatest missionary of all time. He contributes to 13 books of the New Testament, over half of it. And he's a huge part of the reason why the gospel was spread throughout the regions of Rome and also Asia. But did you know that God, or not God, did you know that Paul actually had a really low moment with God? A moment where God had to demonstrate great patience with Paul. Did you know that before he was actually called Paul, he was known as Saul, and he was the greatest threat to the early Christian church? If you turn with me to Acts chapter 8, we will see Saul show up in Scripture. A little bit of history. So the book of Acts is kind of all about the disciples going and making more disciples as the Lord leads them. There's a ton of incredible moments where the Lord is working through these guys and the gospel is being spread. And as we get to Acts 7, there's a stoning that actually happens to one of the followers of Christ named Stephen. And Stephen actually gets stoned to death for believing in Jesus. So he's actually stoned because he believes that Jesus was the Messiah He is the son of the living God and that he died and rose again for our sins. Now, at the uh, start of chapter 8, we read this. So we're reading uh, Acts 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that great day, or on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout, throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now imagine that you're a disciple in this time. You're hearing this great news of Jesus being the Messiah, and you're believing in him, and then you see that there's this guy named Saul who's actually hunting down Christians. He's approving of them being killed. He's going from house to house. He's dragging off men and women throwing them in prison. Now, if I'm like a disciple at the time, I'm kind of going, all right, Lord, like, wouldn't it be like the worst thing ever if he like wasn't here? Like if you kind of like took him out, like this wouldn't be like the worst thing ever. Like this guy's a huge threat to the church. This would be the worst thing ever. And God actually does that, but in a way that we might not have expected. So in Acts 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 19. says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that, if they, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard of many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from your, the chief priest to arrest on all who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. What an incredible story. What an incredible moment of Jesus showing up here in Paul's or Saul's life. Now, does Jesus act in like swift anger towards Saul? No. Jesus shows up and he loves Saul and actually calls Saul to start following him, just like he's been calling everybody else. This is the guy who's killing Christians, who's dragging off believers and throwing them in prison. This is the same guy who Jesus calls. So we see Saul later on in Acts, he actually becomes Paul. So this is the same guy. And he begins following Jesus and he writes something in 1 Timothy about this moment that he had with the Lord. So 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17 should be behind me. And this is Paul writing and he writes to Timothy and he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Our God is full of immense patience with us. Takes Paul's worst moment and uses it as an example for all of us to see of God's patience with him. Paul literally goes on to become one of the greatest missionaries of all time, writing half the New Testament, and the Lord is just so with him. And God writes that he wishes that everyone would come to know him, that everyone would come to repentance. God takes Paul's worst moment and actually changes it to be a demonstration of his immense patience. And in the same way, your moment and my moment are also an example of God's immense patience for us and for those around us. So if God demonstrates patience, that means that we should too, right? Did you guys know that as God actually remains patient with us, we too are called to be patient with him? What does it look like to be patient with God? John Piper said, patience is a deep, sweetening willingness to stand in the place that God has appointed or to move at the pace that God appointed. I'm going to read that again. Patience is a deep, sweetening willingness to stand in the place that God has appointed or to move at the pace that God appointed. 
about a year ago, I uh, I was really into this game called Magic the Gathering. I still I still kind of <laughs> definitely nerd. And uh, and I was building this deck, and I was super excited. And I I ordered a couple cards that were like that I didn't have yet to complete it. And my package was supposed to show up like on a Tuesday after a Chi Alpha meeting. You know, like Amazon says should arrive before 8 p.m. on Tuesday. So I come home Tuesday night after Chi Alpha. I run to the mailbox. I'm super excited. I open it up, and my package isn't there. But what? Why? Where? What? So I run upstairs, grab my phone, and I look, and I'm like, what? There's like this winter storm that just blew over the east coast of the United States, and my package is going to be like a week late. Can anyone relate to impatience? I wanted my cards that day. I wanted it that day. I didn't want to wait. I had this idea in my head of, of when my cards were going to show up, and they were going to show up when I expected them to show up, right? And in the same way, don't we also like to plan our lives? Do we not have times planned in our head of when big moments in our life are going to happen? We kind of have this idea of when we're going to graduate college, we're going to find a job, or we're going to travel, or we're going to get married. But what happens when our timing doesn't actually match God's? What happens when the path that we've created and we think that we're rolling on, what happens when this path gets muddy and it gets messy and there's a roadblock put in your way? Do you think that your patience with God is going to be tested at all? The people of Israel faced such a test. If you turn with me to Isaiah 30, we're going to read about this. Isaiah 30, left of the Bible. Again, table of contents is great, guys. And I'll share with you a little bit of context. So in Isaiah's time, this is Old Testament, this was during the reign of King Hezekiah over Israel. And during this time in Israel's existence, They had plenty of enemies, but they had one who was by far the biggest threat to their existence, and that was the kingdom of Assyria. Now, if you don't know anything about Assyria, Assyria was really known for, like, their psychological terror. It was, like, their most effective weapon. And so, like, there's actually, like, literally one moment in the Bible where they actually show up to Israel and they say, um, when we take you over and when we we, we overthrow you, we're actually make you drink your own urine and actually make you eat your own poop. This is one of the threats that they have. They were known for, like, impaling their victims and, like, placing their heads on stakes. They were, like, psychological terror was their main weapon. Now, God, back in the day, would then send prophets to the people and tell them what to do. So a prophet would show up to Israel, and they would either say surrender or wait or fight. And every single time that they obeyed the command of the Lord— God always showed up and always provided for them. But in this case, in Isaiah 30, the people of Israel actually don't wait for the Lord. They actually take a shortcut, head over to uh, to Egypt, and they actually form an alliance with Egypt in the face of this great persecution of Assyria and this great threat of Assyria. And the Lord writes to them in Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 5. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, 
heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge, but but Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. Heavy words from God. Now, the Bible can teach us what to do, and the Bible can also teach us what not to do. And this is an, ex- is an example of Israel not doing the right thing. So what went wrong? What is God trying to teach us tonight? God is trying to show us that Israel got impatient with him. Israel got impatient with the Lord. God says, uh, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's uh, shade for refuge. So Israel, in the face of this really strong opposition, they actually decide their own plan, and they form an alliance with Egypt without actually consulting God and actually asking God, what are we supposed to do in the midst of this threat? They acted extremely impatiently with God. God wasn't showing up on their timing and in the way that they expected, so they took the high route and the easy route that they thought, and they went and sought after Egypt. And this wasn't like a, oh, this is like a personality disorder for Israel, like they were just acting impatient this one time. It's actually way more than that. The fruit of their impatience was actually a disbelief that God could actually help them in their time of trouble. So the fruit of their impatience is actually disbelief that God could help them in their time of trouble. And they blew off the Lord and they decided to go with their own plans. Have you ever been tempted to believe that God can't help you in your time of trouble? How do you respond to roadblocks in your life when life gets kind of messy and mucky and it's not going as good as you thought it would and there's now a huge roadblock in your life. How do you respond to that? How do you respond when you're kind of expecting, you know, this Amazon Prime package with life's next step and it's delayed a week, it's delayed a month, or it's delayed a year, or if it never shows up? There's a temptation to be impatient with God. Let's get more real. What happens when classes get hard? What happens when we miss home or an unexpected circumstance arises in life? A relationship gets hard or we get sick and we're out for a long time. What happens in those moments? How do we respond to the Lord? Because the person of impatience decides to take the situation into their own hands and they actually doubt that God can provide for them. Israel didn't consult the Lord. So as we kind of come to a conclusion tonight, how does God want us to respond instead? How can we actually learn from Israel? Well, in the same chapter, God actually speaks to the appropriate response amidst obstacles. We'll read in Isaiah 30, actually verse 15 and in verse 18. Verse 15 says, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and in rest is your salvation. In quietness, excuse me, in quietness and in trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. 
Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. God says that the best thing that we can do is actually wait for him amidst obstacles in our life. Wait for him. And the fruit of our patience is actually belief that God can and will fight and provide for us. Worship team, you can start to make your way up. You may ask me, Brandon, how am I supposed to wait for the Lord? Well, I have three steps in waiting for the Lord behind me. The first step to waiting on God is to pray. Pray, pray, pray. And I get this from Isaiah 37, verses 14 through 20. Uh, again, Bible tell you what to do, what not to do. There's actually a moment where Assyria shows up, and the king of Israel actually takes the threat, this written document, this threat that Assyria had. He actually, he actually goes in the temple and lays it out before the Lord and reads it out to him and says, help us. What would happen if you wrote down the obstacles in your life and you brought it to the Lord and prayed to him? Say, God, help me in this situation. Step number two is talk and process with your facilitator or spiritual leaders in your life. Get that from Isaiah 37, 1 through 7. And then step three is let God's scripture be your ultimate guide. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Listen, we can pray and hear something, but if it doesn't actually coincide with God's word, we're not actually hearing from God. If we get a word of wisdom from our facilitator or a leader who's still human, and it doesn't actually coincide with God's word, that's not advice that we're supposed to listen to. God's scripture is our ultimate guide. I have two application questions for us as we close. The first is, have you allowed God to take your lowest moment and transform it into a demonstration of his immense patience? Have you allowed God to take your lowest moment and transform it into a demonstration of his immense patience? And then question two is a two-parter. What's testing your patience with God currently? What is testing your patience with God currently, and how is God calling you to wait patiently for him? As you guys write that down, I'll pray. Lord, I pray that you would just be speaking tonight to all of us and how we need to wait on you. pray that you would show us the areas where we're struggling to wait on you and we're feeling impatient. God, I pray that you would just be speaking tonight. You'd help us to process really, really well and that we just know exactly what you're speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.